if we go to church because we don't want the secondary consequences, but the primary consequences of displeasing our Lord didn't really matter, then God won't be glorified by your attendance. Welcome to Truth, Love, Parents, where we use God's Word to become intentional, premeditated parents. Here's your host, A.M. Brewster. Today we finish up the Your Family Needs to Go to Church series. It's been a great study for me. In fact, I feel the need to be transparent with you. I had no idea what this study had in store for me. Oftentimes when I get an idea for an episode or a series, it will be just that, a small little idea. It may be just a title. And then I write that on a list with all my other ideas, and there are a lot. And then when a new season is approaching, I'll go through my ideas to see if there's a common thread or theme that may tie the season together. Sometimes I'll just start from scratch, but sometimes there's a prevalent theme that jumps out from my collected ideas. And that's what happened with season seven. I had all these truth-related themes, and so that was the direction we went for this season. Now, in regard to this specific series, all I had was a title and a subtitle for each episode. I didn't have any specific scriptures notated. You know, sometimes I'll have fully realized concepts noted in my ideas, but not for this one. The idea originally just rose because many of the families with whom I work at Victory Academy don't take church very seriously. Not not all of them, but a lot. And I saw the obvious issues that arose from that. And having graduated from seminary and been a church attender all my life, you know, I, I knew the Bible had a lot to say on the subject, but I was having a difficult time coming up with anything other than Hebrews 10.25. But you know what? I found that the studies I do for this podcast on which I haven't previously spoken are the ones that really just rock my world. Like I said, I've been attending church since my first week of life. Even in my teens, when I was double-minded, I still enjoyed the assembling of the church. But this study has given me a new appreciation of some of the specifics regarding God's purpose for the church. It's given me clarity that I believe will stay with me to the rest of my life. And I pray it'll do the same thing for you and your family as well. And of course, today's no different. Today we discuss the consequences of neglecting the assembly. It's not pretty. We need to see this, and we need to be moved by it. So let's jump right in. Of course, we have to start with this very important observation. If you start going to church simply because the consequences of not going frighten you, you're not going for the right reason. That's a selfish motivation. It's self-serving. Even if it's fear for your kids, it's not the motivation we should have. I pray that your ongoing desire to darken the door of your local assembly is nothing more than realizing that God is awesome and He deserves our obedience. And assembling together is His command. And if you do that, and if you participate in the purpose of the assembly, I promise you that you will receive the blessed consequences God has in store for you, and you won't need to fear the negative consequences. Now, once again, we need to come to grips with our natural propensity to respond to life just like our kids. Our children are far too concerned with the secondary consequences of their sin and not concerned enough with the primary consequences of their sin. And we tend to do the same thing. If we go to church because we don't want the secondary consequences— but the primary consequence of displeasing our Lord doesn't really matter, then God won't be glorified by our attendance. That's the first part. Number two, we will receive the primary consequences of our sin if we don't attend. Our relationship with the Lord will be strained. The God who purchased our salvation and provided a way to restore our relationship with Him will be ignored as we do our yard work or watch our football or catch up on our needed rest. And that's desperately sad. We should be able to end right there and have everyone going, man, my family needs to get to church, but there are also some other biblical consequences with which we must be familiarized. Number three, if we neglect church, then we're missing out on the purpose of church. 
We won't be equipped by the pastor for the work of the ministry. We won't be equipped to evangelize, and we won't be equipped to do the one another's. That alone is extremely sad. Picture this way. A woman gets accepted into some prestigious law school. She faithfully pays her tuition, but instead of going to classes, she spends every day touring the local parks and coffee shops, fully expecting that at the end of four years, she will automatically pass the bar and become a partner in a firm. How sad her delusion is and how excruciating will be her reality. In fact, she'll probably just be expelled before the four years are up. How about this? A man meets a smart, talented, God-loving woman who desperately loves him. So he marries her and then promptly moves to Singapore without her. He won't be able to enjoy any of the blessings and benefits of being her husband. Well, we do the same thing when we claim to have a relationship with God and then ignore his body. The greatest gift he has ever given us was the ability to have a relationship with him. That came through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But the second greatest gift he's given us is the church. It's there that we're built up and matured into his image. It's there that we're given the tools and talents necessary to reach others with the gospel. And when we refuse to go to church or to go to the right one, we're living in a delusion that we're going to be able to enjoy the blessings of being a child of God on this earth while actively ignoring one of the greatest blessings he's given us on this earth. So the consequences of neglecting the body of Christ are that we're sinning against our God and missing out on the maturing process he created for us. But I still want to get a little bit more specific. So let's consider Hebrews 10.24 again. The verse starts with, And let us consider. He's obviously continuing an idea that was started earlier, so let's do a flyover. In chapter 9, we learn about the earthly holy place in the old temple, and then we learn that the blood of Christ has made it possible for us to enter the holy of holies itself. And then chapter 10 expounds even more on the glorious sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and the fact that he's our new high priest. Then we get to Hebrews 10.19, and we encounter a therefore. And as many of you have already heard, anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Well, it's there because the author of Hebrews is going to say that because of everything we just learned, there are some extremely important implications it's going to have on our lives. So let's start reading in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, let's stop there for a moment. It's really nice that the author is recapping this for us. He says, Since you can enter the Holy of Holies because the blood of Christ, and since Christ is our great high priest, there are three things you need to do. And he continues, and we see the first one in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and with our bodies washed with pure water. So because of all that Christ has done for us, we need to draw near to God in full assurance of faith, and we need to purify our hearts from our evil conscience and our bodies from our sins. You see, God meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are, and that's one of the purposes of the church. God expects that entering into a relationship with him is going to change us. And then the author continues with the second, therefore. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because of everything that God has done for us, we need to have confident hope in the promises of God. And we can do this because God himself is completely trustworthy. And then comes the third requirement of being a child of God. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Because you've been born again, God expects you to put off your old sin habits, have faith in God's truth, and actively go to work helping your fellow believers grow in love and good works. How do we do that? Well, he continues, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we stir each other up to love and good works? Obviously, it can only happen as we meet together and actively encourage one another. And that's just one of the one another's we're called to do with each other. And the last part of the verse says that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we should be seeking to assemble and build each other up. Why? Because we're running out of time. Now, normally that's about where people stop. And that's all really important, but the author doesn't stop there. He continues with another important transition. Verse 19 started with a therefore, and verse 26 starts with a for. This for can be read very much like because. So, we need to assemble together because if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then he gives us a comparative example. He says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The idea is that the old covenant has some high expectations, but the new covenant through Christ's blood has come to fulfill that old covenant. So if we ignore the new covenant, we're sinning more than we would had we just ignored the old covenant alone. Listen again to the verbiage. We've trampled underfoot the Son of God. We've profaned the blood of the covenant. We've outraged the Spirit of grace. Wow. And then the author ties this warning to the same concept to which he tied our obedient confidence. Before, we would have hope in God because he's trustworthy. Well, if we nullify his great gift, we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the fourth consequence of neglecting to fulfill God's plan for the church is that we seriously and significantly offend him and we'll find ourselves not merely at odds with God, but in the fearful position of being in the hands of a living God. Now, you may be wondering if I'm suggesting that God will squash you flat for not going to church. No, I'm not saying that. But the reality is that any time we tell God no and do what we want to do, we are in a very dangerous place. The gift of God and salvation should lead us to drawing near to God in purity, faith, and love that shows itself by collecting with the believers. But if we don't do those three things, the reality is that we probably don't have a relationship with Him in the first place, which means we're still in danger of spending an eternity in the lake of fire separated from Him. And that's a scary thing. But, as always, there's hope. Perhaps your family has made a habit of neglecting the body of Christ— You can change that. You can start the glorious process of corporate sanctification for which God created the church. And allow me to end on a high note, and also a word of caution. Here's the caution. Everything I'm about to read should be a glorious joy as we consider how God wants you to interact with your local body of believers. But if you're not planning to invest in church, then you can mark it down that your family will likely experience the exact opposite as you live in defiance to God's will. Here we go, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it can build itself up in love. Have you considered that by possibly sharing this episode, you're contributing to the building up of the body of Christ? The more born-again believers who pack local Christ-honoring assemblies, the stronger and more mature the body of Christ will become on this earth and the more dynamic impact it can have. But more than that, God just deserves it. On our next episode, we're going to ask the question whether your family is a tourist or a member. It's an extremely important question to ask on the tail end of this study. And I want to take a moment to thank our friend Kara, who faithfully supports TLP. Without her and the other patrons, it would be much harder for us to produce two episodes a week and continue strengthening families all over the world with the Word of God. I hope you are as thankful for Kara as we are. Now, if you're desperately wanting to connect with a God-honoring body of believers, but are uncertain which one is truly honoring God, feel free to contact us. We have friends in many places, and we'd be happy to see if we know anyone who's familiar with your area enough to give us some godly counsel on the matter. We may not know anyone, but we love to try. And perhaps God may want you to assemble with some believers in your own home. Wouldn't that be cool? See you next time. Truth, Love, Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you become an intentional, premeditated parent. Join us next time as we search God's Word for the truth your family needs today.